Our next speaker is Fahmida Peterson-Luri. She'll be the moderator for the panel discussing transformation in the asset management industry in South Africa. Many of you will know Fahmida as she is an actuary with 19 years experience in the pensions and investments industry. She has held a number of roles in the industry with the most recent one being um, the Chief Investment Officer of the ESCOM Pension and Provident Fund. Something you may not know about Fahmida is that she's an avid cricket enthusiast and she's a lead director on the Gauteng Cricket Board where she's responsible for driving transformation of this sport at all levels. Please join me in welcoming Fahmida. Good morning, everybody. If I could call my panel members up, please, um, and I'm sure they'll all be known to you as well. Um, could MX and Fozia and Mabata please come up and have a seat? Um, just by way of introduction, um, MX is the CEO and founder of Silicani Asset Consulting, um, who've been very prominent in driving transformation at asset management businesses. Uh, Mabatu um, has a history in the asset management industry as well. She was formerly at Cady's, and she now plays a number of independent roles on different pension funds. And then Fozia Silliman is with Macquarie on the equity sales side, and she's also been very instrumental in, in driving um, transformation at Macquarie. And of course, we all know Nazmira Muller, who's one of Annabelle Bishop's um, colleagues at Investec. She, in fact, is a, is a former product of Macquarie. So the subject today is transformation in the asset management industry, and I think you'll be a far easier audience than the Minister of Sport in trying to engage him in uh, relaxing our, our ban on, on hosting international matches. But transformation in the asset management industry is a very, very important subject, obviously, for, for our industry in general. Um, it's also quite important in terms of what it represents for transformation in South Africa. Because ultimately the asset management industry, certainly in my view, are key role players in the allocation of capital. And the, the complexion effectively of the allocators of capital, I think, will play a key role in economic development in South Africa. To put it to you, you know, very, very simply, if your credit committee is made up of Johanna and Kurbus and um, Frederick, they're more likely to allocate funds, whether it's equity, whether it's debt, um, you know, whether it's direct financing, to their mate from University of Stellenbosch than they are to sort of the entrepreneur from Soweto who's wanting to build a shopping complex in Soweto. And so this is far more than just an issue about addressing BE codes or meeting requirements. It's, it's actually a deep-grained issue in the future developments of our, of our country. And so I think we have a very, very competent and informed panel um, here today who are going to share their views with us on the matter. Um, so, MX, can I start with you? Um, MX is, is an asset consultant, as I said, who's had a long history in the asset management industry, and MX has a particular role that he plays on some funds, besides being a very competent um, general asset consultant. And in fact, Silicani won the Asset Consulting Award at the Batsita Conference um, over the last two days. So well done on that, MX. But MX and his company play a critical role of actually um, implementing 
dedicated BE mandates or BE asset management programs um, for, for pension funds in particular. And really, it's been pension funds as institutional investors who've been the most um, active in the space, although there has, as an absolute, been very little activity. Um, but pension funds have been the most active in the space, and MX has been one of the drivers um, in, in that area. And just before I, I turn over to MX and ask him for his particular views, this is just a very brief snapshot of the industry as it stands at the moment. And, and I think that tells you the state of play and what needs to be addressed. If black asset owned, or black owned asset management companies manage 4.4% of the 6.97 trillion assets in, in the savings industry in South Africa. So MX, over to you. Can you tell me a bit about what it is that you do with pension funds in particular, what their objectives would be, and then the issues that you, you have encountered? Thank you. Thanks, uh, Fahmida. Uh, you know, in terms of what Silicon's role is uh, in the whole uh, pension fund uh, industry, you know, what we do is guide trustees in terms of uh, asset managers and investment strategy formulation. So what we have done in so far as the asset management side is concerned is basically uh, guiding uh, trustees in terms of transformation. So the way we would look at transformation is uh, twofold. There is uh, traditional investment managers, which everyone would know, everybody here would know, which is your big uh, asset management firms. You know, if you look at those asset management firms, they've got a big role to play in the industry and uh, in terms of transformation. You know, the first uh, big thing that I think uh, they are playing is training of people. In the past, they have done that. You have seen quite a lot of black people being trained in most of these companies. You have each and every one, the, I mean the big ones, having a black uh, program going on, black training, black investment professionals training program going on, you know, and there's been quite a bit of successes in terms of that, and also there were challenges uh, as well experienced, which is why you would see that those programs have basically diminished or they have lost, uh, most of the companies have stopped doing those programs. And I think uh, uh, part of the reason those programs have been stopped it's because most of the beneficiaries have left the companies to start their own businesses and you know the, there are reasons for that because if you look at this whole transformation thing you know it has to it has to give opportunities to those who didn't have before and now if you look at what companies have done Companies didn't look inside in terms of empowerment. It's a fact. Companies look at uh, politicians and other people from outside, and they did deals with those. So entrepreneurs within those companies had no other option but to go out and form their own businesses, which is why now you see that there is quite a number of black companies that were formed, particularly late 90s into early 2000s. 
And uh, some of those companies have struggled to attract assets. There is quite a few successes that we have seen. For example, there are companies like uh, Oasis. I mean, Oasis is one of the longest uh, serving company in the transformation space. You know, they, they were formed in the late 90s. But as good as they are, I mean, they have proved themselves as good as they are. They are not a big company in the bigger scheme of things. Yes, they are sustainable. They are a, a company that everyone would recognize. But in size, they are not where they should be. There are other companies like Kahiso. Kahiso as well is, uh, is such a great uh, transformed company. They have grown a bit, but you know, as you can see, they have not, uh, as you would see in their asset growth, those who follow it, you would see that they have come back a bit in terms of size. There, is great other, there are other great companies like Marzi and Agon. You know, those companies have done really well. You know, also with them, there is quite a lot of support that is needed from them for, uh, uh, to, to, to get them to a level where they should be. You know, also, it's quite important to note that there were other failures as well. It, it has not all been good, you know, this transformation route. There are people who have failed, and some of them have not failed because they were bad investment managers. Some of these companies have failed because of lack of support. And if you look at where this support, or why is there lack of the support, I think the, the three players in this industry, which is the trustees, the pension, the pension funds, which is the trustees, the consultants, and the large asset managers, you know, the, the tendency is to comply to the codes or the charters. There hasn't been a conscious decision to comply uh, to the spirit of the whole transformation agenda, you know. And I think that is what we should be thinking about or talking about as, as the industry. Thanks, Emek. Sam, so, mean, we've got a slide of the Complements of Investment Solutions, which actually looks at, at the black, big black-owned asset management companies over time. And I mean, we've got... Prodigy, we've got um, African Harvest, we've got uh, Keystone. So a couple of big names that have failed over time. And, and I mean, we, when, we, when we chatted in preparation for this, we spoke about the fact that different managers have different styles and, and they actually ended up failing when their style was out of vogue in terms of the market cycle. Um, but then moving on to, to Fosia. So as I said, Fosia is from Macquarie, and Macquarie is a brokerage company. Now, the sell side is not an, a side that asset consultants and pension funds pay much attention to. They're effectively the dark horse of the asset management industry from a monitoring perspective from the asset owner's side. But actually, your brokerage spend as, a, as an asset owner is part of your non-discretionary spend. 
So when pension funds have to start completing BE certificates, and I'm sure we'll get to that point someday, they will need to reflect what is happening to their stockbroking spend. And your stockbroking spend, as you know, 20 basis points on a transaction, if you're churning your portfolio 50% for the year, then that's actually you know, an in and an out, so it's 100% for the year. So it's actually 20 basis points spend on your portfolio value for the year, which is probably half of what you're paying your asset manager. So it's a significant amount of expenditure. So what is happening on the, on the, um, on the sell side? And Fosa is going to take us through some stats very briefly. But I mean, I got into this subject when I was the CIO at the ESCOM Pension Fund because we were directly managing money um, 42 billion, and so we were spending quite a lot of money with stockbrokers, and so of course I interrogated the lay of the land at, at the time. And the statistics, as bad as they are in the asset, on the asset management side, they're actually shocking on the um, on the sell side. And Fozia will take us through a bit of that detail. Um, let me stand up, and apologies for the croaky voice. I'm struggling a little bit with the post nasal drip. <clears throat> but I guess just in terms of and these are courtesy of the BEE Empowerment Survey from last year, so they are slightly um, out of sync. I think the latest FM rankings have just come out. But if we look at the number of analysts in the financial mail rankings, now the, the FM rankings is, is the preeminent ranking that comes out every year, ranking the analysts in the industry. We see that of the 430 analysts that featured in the rankings in 2015, 49 of those analysts were EE analysts. Um, and if we break down, that down further, we see that only 17 of those analysts featured in the top six. Breaking that down a little bit further, in terms of how many of those analysts featured in the top six of equities, we see there were only 13. And then the stark number um, on your extreme right, which is that we only had five African black analysts in the top six equities. So those certainly are stark numbers and, and a reality for all of us and something we all need to address. Some other interesting stats is that less than 6% of registered stockbrokers with the JSE are black and less than 12% of, uh, of the stockbrokers are female. So I shudder to think how many of those are actually black female stockbrokers. Um, in terms of the black stockbrokers and the value that they trade on the JSE, we see that only 2% of the value traded on the JSE is traded by black stock brokers. Um, Fahmida spoke earlier on in terms of the commission paid. And another interesting stat is that for the period under review, only 1.4% of all commissions paid was paid to black stock brokers. So that's just an analysis. Thanks, Fazia. And I guess on the, on the gender side, I mean, we've been focusing on racial transformation right now, but on the gender side, um, it's even worse. I mean, ASA's doing very well with their presenters today, a very strong dominance of females. And I don't know if that's because the men are in far too important jobs to be here to do presentations. But, um, I mean, for, for females, it's even harder to, to actually participate on, on the sell side in particular. I mean, what's your view? Why, why do you think that is? Um, so, so I think uh, where we've struggled historically and we continue to struggle is on the trading floor. I think that the trading floor is dominated uh, by males. I think the industry itself is difficult for females, just in terms of working hours, etc. But I think when we get to the trading desk, what we see in most broking firms is predominantly male, white male desks. I think the culture um, is not inclusive for females. It is 
um, a desk where, where, where people come in at 6 in the morning and they leave at 6 in the evening. And if you're the female on that desk that wants to take their child to school at, or fetch their school, child from school at 12 o'clock in the afternoon or leave because you, you've got work to do somewhere else, you know, you get the chirps of is this post office hours, etc. So it is a difficult um, industry to break into. Unfortunately, we haven't seen the pioneers come through because I think just generally what we see is that once you have one or two people that are representative of, of, of gen, different gender, for example, or different race groups, we do see those numbers growing. So we haven't quite seen that happen on, on the dealing side yet. It is starting to change on the research side. We're seeing more and more females come through. Um, I think companies like ours that offer things like flexi hours, that offer our staff the ability to go away you know, have their children take extended maternity leave if necessary and then come back. I think that is assisting from the perspective of analysts entering the industry. Thanks. So, I mean, talking about attracting talent to the industry because they need to start at the bottom and, and develop up into, into being top-rated analysts um, and being good, good dealers. Um, what what is it that Macquarie is doing? I mean, I've, obviously I've invited you because you guys are the, are the leaders in the industry in the area, but can you tell us a bit about what Macquarie is doing to develop skills in the industry, what the challenges are that you're facing there? I mentioned Naz earlier. She was one of the first graduates from the All-Star program. But, yeah, do you just want to tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, so we've got three programs in place at the moment, and they are focused um, at different levels in the organization. Um, the one that most people would be familiar with is the graduate program. It's what we call our All-Stars program. Um, and what we do is we look for people um, with postgraduate, um, at the postgrad level. We're really not stuck in terms of which discipline the individuals come from. Uh, we've got a good relationship with the WITS PDM program. We bring people in at that level. Uh, we bring them in on a two-month internship. That's part of the PDM program. But what it also allows us to do is to make an assessment in terms of where we think that individual will fit in best in our, in our company. So whether it be on the sales side or on the trading desk, for example. And then when they join us for their 24-month uh, month program, we've already got quite a good idea in terms of where we think they should be. And what that assists with is to put people in a role where they're adding value pretty quickly after they've joined. So they're not sort of mulling around, maybe doing the errands, etc. They get real work right from the beginning. Um, and so feedback from our grads is that that's really important in terms of their development. We also have a formal education process during that 24 months. So depending on where you land up in the organization, we would require that you, uh, you do some formal studies, um, and the company obviously pays for all of that. I guess one of the challenges in terms of that program is given the size of the organization, given the kind of pressures that stockbrokers are under in terms of margin compression, etc., it's not always possible to take all of those individuals on as permanent employees in the organization. Um, and previously, we probably saw it as a little bit of a failure if we lost people outside of our organization, but we have now changed our mindset to say it doesn't matter. We are providing the skills. If those skills are going back into the industry, if they're joining one of our competitors, if they're joining the buy side, it doesn't matter. We are, we are actually developing the skills. Um, and then the other program we've got is what we call um, the Rising Stars program. It's, it's more all-encompassing. It doesn't only focus on front office employees. And it's really just saying to people in our organization, let's just change the way we think about talent and how talent is going to walk through your front door. They're not necessarily going to be the graduate, uh, but perhaps, you know, it's the young accountant that joins you and you look at him and you see the potential 
you see the right characteristics. And once you recognize that, then put your arms around that individual and provide them with all of the necessary nurturing and developing that they need and then see him through the organization. And once again, if you lose him out of the organization, that's okay because you are developing skills for the industry. Great, thanks. So two, the two biggest pension funds in the South African industry are obviously the Government Employees Pension Fund and then the ESCOM Pension Fund, where I used to be the CIO previously. And both these funds ran dedicated in doesn't give post office hours. Um, but Mabatu, can you tell us what, um, so, so sorry, GPF and EPPF obviously had those programs in place because there was a particular political mandate to empower pension funds. But Mabatu, looking at other pension funds, perhaps non-governmental pension funds, what, what are the interests of the boards of the trustees? What are the objectives? Does BEE even matter to them? What are the issues that you're seeing? Oh, can you hear me? Okay. Thanks for the question, Fakmida. So I do serve an, on, a, on a number of pension funds. And I find that on the different funds, what guides what we do is our beliefs and our values. And sometimes we don't recognize or we don't do it consciously, it's a subconscious thing. On some funds, the one fund that I'll talk a lot about at the moment, um, there's a fundamental belief in transformation. There's a belief that transformation and investments are directly linked to the well-being of our members and our ability for our members to do well going forward in the long term. On other funds, um, the beliefs of the trustees are simply we're there to manage money, that's it. You know, our fiduciary duties is to manage money and just get uh, the best returns. That's how they see it. And they some, sometimes believe that undertaking transformation is contrary to that fundamental belief. So on one scale, are people who are promoting, and, and you talk about aligning with the spirit of the code as opposed to just a tick box. There are people who do that. And then there are people who, are, who, who want to be politically correct and they'll say, oh, well, we have one black asset manager, great tick box. And on the other side, we're not interested, you know. And it's safer. You know, when you're a trustee on a pension fund, there's a lot of risks associated with the role. So if I do the same as what everybody else is doing, even if we don't do well tomorrow, it's okay because everybody else is doing that. So the regulator is not going to look at me closely and, and perhaps penalize me. You know, we, we've had trustees who've been penalized uh, extensively for the decisions that they've taken. So if I go back to that, I want to talk about um, the fund that really lives the spirit of transformation. And I think part of it is not just about the leadership, it's also about the characteristics of the membership of the fund. So this is um, a fund that represents truck drivers. So, and these are people who understand the value of when you do investments in my community. You talk about us being asset allocators. On this particular fund, our way of doing transformation is threefold. It is transformation from giving money to black asset managers. It is transformation from undertaking high impact investing that benefits our members directly. And I'll go into all of that. And then it's transformation in terms of how you allocate um, assets into the economy. And now you've got a fourth one to watch, who your stockbrokers are. 
<laughs> who are stockbrokers? Oh my gosh, I can't keep up. But anyhow, okay. So how we then translated this fundamental values and beliefs is we then put into our investment policy statement what we intended to achieve. So in our investment policy statement, and I think that's where it begins, you need to have clear targets about what you want. Um, we then articulated that at least 60% of our assets should be managed by, by black asset managers. Okay. Um, and Mabasa, I'll interject here and say mm. that that's probably the highest target for any pension fund in the industry. Yeah. yeah. And not a, we've, we've exceeded the target and we are achieving our investment return objectives for our members. I think that's, 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 that's the key, the, the key yeah. point. But you know what? I think when you are committed to a cause, then you are committed to doing it properly. And at the heart of doing things, something properly is you do thorough research mm -hmm. about the space. And it helps when you have partners that understand the space. So your partnerships around how you're able to, to meet your objectives also depend on your partnerships. So our asset consultants that we look at are asset consultants who understand the space, have done thorough research. And we know that when we talk about, a lot of the time when you talk about black asset managers, it's not just about the, the normal things that you look at, people, process, performance. You know, you need to also look, because very often many of them are fairly new, you need to look at the operational side of the business. You know, are these people going to be sustainable? What are the risks from an operational point of view? And, and then we put them in and we measure them on the basis that would measure any other asset manager once, once, once they're in. The one thing that we keep track of is, you know, like any other trustee board, how are they performing relative to the benchmarks that we've given them? But we also look at how are they performing relative to the universe? You know, so on a risk-adjusted basis, how are managers performing relative to the universe? And it's interesting, uh, many of our managers are either performing relatively in line, and there are many who are outperforming the market. So it, it goes back to a lot of people not wanting to do transformation because they say it's riskier. And I think at the heart of that is they haven't done their research to really see whether to, 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 to validate the effects. Um, so we are finding that many of our managers are performing very, very, well, very well in their Mondays. Are there managers that are not performing well? Yes, and we take action. We do take action, and if we need to um, terminate a manager's mandate, we do so. So that's, that's one side of it. I would also like to say, you know, this fund looks at, at a transformation holistically. I spoke about the BE managers, but we also do a lot of high-impact investing. Our property portfolio has a lot of property in, in townships. One of our best-performing properties is a retail center in Soshanguve. It is pumping. I mean, that makes business sense. I don't, it doesn't matter who you are, you know? And I think that's, that's part of, um, I think we always look at the risk, but we, we don't look at what opportunities we're missing if we don't look at some of these things. The, that property portfolio on an annualized basis is returning 19% to us. It's a very good property portfolio. Yes, it's not just about um, retail outlets in the townships. We do have other, other, other uh, investments elsewhere. The other thing that we've done that is directly linked to our members, we're now going into track stops. You know, so we've done our first investment in a track stop called Highway Junction. Maybe if you can, you Google it and see it's, it's, it's rated the top performing track stop in, in, in South Africa. 
But this is directly related to our members. What we found was with our members, uh, many of them are not going to reach retirement. They actually have an investment horizon of five years. When we looked at the data came in, coming out, they were dying of ill health, etc., accidents, etc. So the intention of the truck stops is not only that um, they're there to service members and, and trucks, but also to, to provide safe space for our truck drivers to stop at, to hopefully minimize uh, accidents because they have facilities where they can sleep, but also the health issues, HIV, AIDS, etc. There will we are partnering with uh, people like the bargaining council to provide services at these trucks truck stops. And on top of that, the benchmark for that particular portfolio is CPI plus three. Already the indications and the numbers that are coming out is we're going to be exceeding those sort of those those, those targets. So I'm, I just uh, I think my key message is transformation doesn't necessarily mean mean having to reduce your expectation on returns. Great. Thanks, Babata. Fantastic story. Of course, the other big institutional asset owners in South Africa are the insurance companies. And I have to say, as little as the pension funds have done, the insurance companies have probably done even less in terms of allocating assets to black managers to manage and, and also doing, um, doing developmental investments. I mean, the, the balance sheets of the insurance companies are enormous, and while most of them have captive asset management companies, they do also allocate assets out to external managers to provide um, some sort of um, va variation in terms of management style, etc. So to the insurance company actually sitting in the room, I think it's something that you need to be looking at. You need to be giving consideration to um, particularly when you hear about the success that um, Abata has been, been achieving in her program. Now, so we've heard from, from Abata as an asset owner, but Fozia, effectively your, your sort of paymaster as a, as a stockbroker are the asset management companies. And what sort of engagement are you seeing from the asset management companies with regards to transformation at stockbrokers? Does it matter to them how much are they allocating to black stockbrokers? Clearly not much if 1.2% of, of all commission is being paid to black stockbrokers. Um, are you actually seeing any allocation of funding to your um, all-star program? If you could just tell us a bit about that, please. Um, so it's interesting, when we started our programs about three years ago, there wasn't much talk, uh, so certainly not much focus from the asset managers in terms of allocations, um, either to black um, stockbrokers or to black stock or to stockbrokers with programs like these. But certainly over the last year, um, we've seen that shift. Um, and there are black asset managers out there who's putting enough pressure on the stockbrokers for there to be more talks, talk in the boardrooms of these stockbrokers that change needs to happen. What we have seen, though, from the black asset managers is that, and I guess in line with, with, the, with the financial services scorecard, that there's a real emphasis on ownership. Um, so they're saying that key in terms of how they'll allocate money is having um, ownership of more than 50%, black female ownership of more than 31%. The difficulty with that is that the stockbrokers out there that do have that ownership don't necessarily have the resources to provide the skills development. Um, and really what we're saying to the asset managers out there is that we need to engage more, we need open dialogue to understand how you are allocating your commissions. And if the only allocation is going to be for black ownership, then really the model is not going to advance much further than it is now. Um, our own company right now, we are having the discussions. We are saying to the asset managers, 
what we need from you, I guess, is threefold. So firstly, we need to know that there is going to be an allocation for our various programs that we need to have in place. Secondly, when we look at those stats, we need to ask the question, we all know that graduate programs have been in place for a long time. You mentioned it earlier on. How is it that we can't bring those graduates up um, to the levels that we need to? Um, and we've, we've had a look. Obviously, there is the element of people being entrepreneurial and then leaving the industry. I think in some ways there's easier ways to make money. I think we all sometimes choose that. But the other thing that's key for a young analyst coming through the industry is engagement with the buy side. The difficulty is for that young analyst in his second or third year to get the meeting with the asset manager. <clears throat> and what we're saying to the asset manager is you need to give them the time of day. Very important in their development is to be out there to be speaking to the clients. Uh, when, analysts don't, when the young analysts don't see that, when they don't see their rankings starting to come through, they do get disillusioned and a lot of them leave the industry for that reason. So we are asking the asset managers to think about that more carefully and certainly to be engaging with our um, young analysts more. And then thirdly, I think, just in terms of, of paying black stockbrokers, the difficulty, again, for small black um, stockbrokers <clears throat> is that they don't necessarily have the flows, flows to show the asset managers. So again, a commitment from the asset managers to say that in terms of the small caps, or the mid-caps, we'll be putting that flow through the black asset managers who don't necessarily have the flows in, in the big uh, market cap stocks. So I guess it is ongoing engagement. Um, are we seeing some allocations for skills development programs? Yes. Is it enough at this stage to sustain the kind of development programs that we think are necessary in the industry? Not at this stage, no. Thanks, Fazia. So if you reflect on the asset management industry or the savings industry more, general, more generally in South Africa today and look at it from a transformation perspective, has it, has it been successful so far? I think the transformation levels are very low. The transformation levels are low because the financial sector charter simply isn't demanding enough and that's probably thanks to the very good lobbying powers of a CISA. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, what, what would success then look like? You know, should we have a more strict financial sector charter, which is going to legislate transformation? Who knows, if Desmond Royan had more than three days in office, he would probably have signed in um, a more demanding financial sector charter the way um, the Minister of Minerals has. But what, what should success then look like? I mean, in, in my view, as I mentioned earlier, it ultimately transformation determines the capital. But for for transformation to be successful, we actually need to be developing a wealth of black skill, of, of, of black talent in this industry, and we need to be retaining them. Because we've also seen in the last 10, 15 years when black portfolio managers get to a sufficiently senior level in what is viewed as white asset management companies, they tend to leave and start their, their own shop, whether they're pushed out or whether they want to have the title CIO. I mean, it's debatable. I've had the title CIO. It doesn't, um, it doesn't make you any prettier, I can tell you that. Um, but so so we, we need skills development. And then, of course, if it's real empowerment, if it's real skills development, it should also be a form of job creation. There are lots of bursaries floating around in the asset management industry. And if those are allocated to people who would otherwise have been lost to the industry, then in my view, that is what, what real transformation looks like. We've um, we've discussed three major successes that MX have spoken about, but there have been a far higher number of failures, and there have also been a lot of almost rands 
who are around but they're not getting to that next level of success because they're just not getting the support. And MX has spoken about um, Oasis Asset Management. And then, of course, there have been numerous stockbroking failures and black stockbrokers being bought out by um, sort of other, other stockbroking firms and losing that, that black status. So, Emix, do you want to pick up on a few of the issues um, that, that we discussed, you know, why the black asset management companies aren't getting to the next level? I think the, the, the challenge with uh, our black asset managers and uh, them getting to the next level is uh, the whole thing around trust. If you look at uh, how the industry works, you know, you, you have, you either, like Mabato has said, you either have trustees who have taken a conscious decision that they will support transformation, or trustees who look at this as a tick, as a tick box solution. Now the challenge becomes, you know, when trustees have given money to these uh, asset managers, what you have is a situation where, for example, a good asset manager is going to get an allocation. And if that asset manager gets like 200, for example, there is no review on that 200. People just keep it at that level, even though you may see that the results are pointing to a direction which uh, shows that this is a good quality asset manager. You know, these managers are kept at very low levels in the funds where they, are, they have allocations. And most of the clients that have bought into the transformation are the ones that are actually allocating to them. I can tell you, for example, that if you look at our asset managers, which is your transformed asset managers, you look at their client list, you will find that a 30 billion rands is not gonna be made out of a lot of clients. It will be those clients who have taken a bet on the asset managers that have allocated quite substantial numbers with them. So the challenge is the industry hasn't really made a call as to whether they will support uh, these asset managers. We need, I think it goes back to the issue around uh, compliance to the spirit of transformation. If we can all look at ourselves and look at why we have to do this, as uh, Fahmida has said, it is a very important uh, strategic imperative for our country. If we all buy into that, I think we will be able to see progress in terms of these asset managers. Thanks, Emix. Now, Mabati, you were mentioning earlier that some of the funds where you sit, the trustees don't want to consider BEE programs and, and they consider it a failing in their, in their um, fiduciary duty, in fact, if they do allocate to black managers. But in fact, Regulation 28, which is the regulation for the non-pension fund people, um, which governs the prudential investment of pension fund assets, actually says that you should be giving preference to black to black asset management companies. So, I mean, what sort of conversations are you having with the, with the boards that aren't making black, um, black asset manager allocations? You know, what, what are you doing in terms of advocacy and are you seeing any progress? Um, I think um, we, we need a bit of conversation around exactly what Regulation 28. I'm not sure if it says give preference to black asset managers as opposed to you must consider. Sure. You know. Consider as a very loose term, <laughs> you know. 
Um, and, and when the regulator engages with you, all they, they, the first thing they talk about is, are you meeting your, the interests of your members? That's the primary thing. They, they don't push. So, so I think if there was a bit of a push from the regulatory point of view, uh, from a transformation, you would see, you would see a difference. We, talk about trans we do talk about transformation. But I, I, I think it's a, it's, it, it's a partnership thing because I find that the consultant on pension funds plays a role on whether these things happen or not. If you also have a consultant who only believes, and, and consultants when they sell their services to us, they say initially we always look at the whole universe. So we understand what the good ideas are out there. But actually I find most consultants have a few specific people that they like dealing with and that's who they're going to direct investments towards. In other words, we just do balanced and it's going to be the normal Alan Grayford and that's it, you know. It's very difficult, I find, if the consultant has a view that trustees will contradict what the consultant says. So they're very influential. There's a reason why they're called gatekeepers. We always push, but it has to be supported by, by, by the majority of the board and the consultants. Thanks. So, of course, we've got the new codes coming into effect this year, the, um, the new BE codes. And while it, there was a lot of controversy around the issuance last year, I think we've gotten to a point where they are going to be implemented and BE is going to be measured for the 2016 um, year end on the new BE codes. And I think what we're going to find is that a lot of managers who make it into level three on the broad ownership measure are going to be dropping to sort of level five and your asset owners who have certain BE requirements um, to meet are going to need to start engaging seriously with what, what I would call real black companies. So black companies that aren't, don't just have sort of some black ownership, but also have black management in place, black investment talent, are doing the skills de development, are doing enterprise development, um, and are doing, are doing the social spend. And, and so what I've, what I've also observed as an interesting development in the industry is that there are pension funds who have what they call their mainstream asset consultant, and then they appoint another person, such as MX's company, to actually manage dedicated BE portfolios then. Um, Mabata, do you think you're going to see more of that trend happening for funds in particular that, that have BE targets that they want to meet? Uh, that might be one way, or the tradition, traditional asset consultants are going to now seriously have to give the space um, uh, consideration. I, I do find that there are some traditional asset managers who are now quite focused in terms of running. They have to run some of these programs for, for, for their clients, so they now need to understand the space. I think where we can play a, a role as asset owners, as pension funds, is really that push, is this is what we want to do, this is what we want to achieve, and that will push um, asset consultants to start looking at the space seriously. So I think you'll see one or two things. It'll be traditional asset consultants uh, looking at the space seriously because their clients want it, and then you will see, you might see a, a dual role, as you're saying, too, having two different asset consultants on, on, a, on, a, on a fund. Thanks. I think we will probably find that we can call the, the industry really transformed when it is the mainstream asset consultants who are also supporting allocation to sort of the black managers, the new emergent 
black managers and you know having informed discussions with the asset owners when they say oh but it's too risky to allocate to a new manager and actually breaking down that risk and saying well actually from an operational risk perspective these assets are in a SIG mandate they're sitting on a custodian's balance sheet etc so there's no risk here that if the manager doesn't make revenue at the end of the month he's going to borrow some money from your portfolio to pay the rent you know the risk really is limited to whether the business will be sustainable or not, and whether they actually have a good and sound investment process um, and philosophy. But I think we'll, we'll pause with the, with the panel there and then take questions from the floor. No questions from the floor? Thank you. Um, if you look at numbers like 2% and 4% and 6%, if we had our rugby team, our cricket team, having half a player who was black, I'm sure that we'd see uh, quotas being enforced. Um, clearly, 2 and 4 and 6 is not acceptable. So you've talked a bit about government intervention, but do you think there does need to be stronger government intervention in terms of the legislation to make sure that in terms of uh, pension fund trees, trustees, you need 30% black ownership of assets. For insurance companies, you must allocate to 45% black ownership. Do you think that needs to happen? Because um, if this is what's happened naturally, surely we can't wait another 20 years to get to 5% and still be unhappy. Mm -hmm. Does one of the panel members want to make a comment? You know, um, I just want to make an example, and, and Fakimida, I mean, I actually be talking about this. You, 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 you have know the example better. Escom Pension Fund. Uh, yesterday, I had a, an opportunity to also chair a panel on, on transformation at Batseta, and they were saying the reason that they've been successful is two things: it's target, but it's also um, clear um, punishments, for lack of a better word, if if something doesn't happen. So. If I'm dealing with a traditional asset manager, we want to understand your plans. If you don't achieve, we, we agreed timelines, and if you don't achieve the plans, we take away 10% every, every year of you not achieving um, those um, targets. And they found that there, there has been incentive for change, simply because they've, they've, they've uh, instituted such me measures. So I'd imagine if there was stronger... Um, uh, regulatory support for transformation, that people understood that there were penalties for not uh, um, undertaking transformation, maybe you would see a greater acceleration. But I think also, you know, it's how people think of transformation. They think if I undertake transformation, it means I'm taking away from Peter to give Paul. But actually, we're talking about how do you increase the pie? I mean, the point that was made yesterday was, you know, if you have a more transformed financial services industry, there are pockets of money that we're not even accessing because we don't understand those markets. And that's part of and parcel of the benefit of transformation is now how do you um, develop the skills base to have a, a greater, a wider investment pool than we, we actually have by targeting areas that are not currently being targeted by people because they simply don't understand those markets. Yeah, um, but I mean, to answer your question more directly, I think if Des had a couple of months in office, he would probably have um, been instructed to 
to you know, amend the financial sector charter or issue a new financial sector charter. I think the financial, I mean, as we've seen in government, the, the charters come out of the ministries responsible for that industry. And if you look at our ministers since democracy, we've had very, um, we've, we've, had, um, we've had ministers that are very, have been very tolerant or very light touch in terms of their regulation of the industry. I mean, most regulation tends to come out of the Financial Services Board or it comes out of, um, you know, the banking regulator. It, it hasn't been coming out of the, the Ministry of Finance or, or the, the National Treasury. But I think if we, if we had sort of a more militant minister, we would probably see codes. I mean, hopefully the new BE, BE codes are actually going to push asset management companies to do more. I mean, if we look at those stats there, if 91% of assets in the industry are being managed by 10 managers, we literally need to go and speak to 10 CEOs and ask, why are you not allocating to black stock brokers? Why have we had these black stock brokers fail over the last 20, 20 whatever years, 23 years, you know, do you recognize the role that your company has played in the failure of these, um, of these stockbrokers? And, and I think one of, the, one of the easier things then in the industry, because it's so concentrated, is that government can actually go and have very focused discussions with the, with the heads, with the execs of these businesses and say, you know, you really need to be doing more for skills development. Or alternatively, through the codes then, they'll be held more accountable. So certainly in terms of the new draft financial services sector scorecard, um, we have seen a greater emphasis in particular on three elements in the scorecard. So, so number one, the ownership. Um, the second is on skills development. And then the third is through the enterprise and supplier development or through the procurement chain. So if as an asset manager I'm sitting and looking at my scorecard, <clears throat> number one, I'm going to look at my ownership. Number two, I'm going to look at skills development within my organization because that's where I score the points. And then when I go to the element in terms of enterprise and supplier development, I'm going to look for the enterprise that's got black ownership. So when those asset managers are looking to allocate commission to a company like ours, they're saying, but actually you don't have that black ownership. And so therefore you get pushed to the side. But what asset managers, and I guess what, what everybody in this industry should be doing, and it goes back to the point about following the spirit rather than the latter, is to say that there is an allocation for skills development. That for stockbrokers, for example, we are going to allocate a certain amount of commissions purely for skills development. And if that doesn't happen, like I said earlier, what's going to happen is more and more funds are going to flow to black-owned um, companies or black-owned stockbrokers that don't necessarily at this stage have the ability um, to, to, to adequately uh, improve the, the skills development in the industry. So it is about following the code and the spirit of what we're all trying to achieve, which what Fahmida said earlier on is around skills development. And of course the new, the new um, codes for, for the financial services sector also says that there needs to be a dedicated allocation to female-owned female businesses. And in fact, PIC recently ran a tender looking for listed, um, you know, asset managers of, of listed, listed stocks um, but that had either a minimum of 30% female ownership or 15% um, female in portfolio and, and executive management. So I think the space is moving. It's probably a bit slow, but hopefully the pace picks up with the new codes. 
we've, we've got a question over there. Hi. Um, thanks for the panel. I think it's uh, a difficult topic to talk about. It's obviously a very heated debate in terms of transformation in this country. Um, I just have a question. Each panel member brought up the factor of the importance of trust in terms of allocating finances. I mean, trust in the financial sector is very important in terms of st its stability. But when it comes to transformation, a number of uh, there's a big stigma around the fact that people are maybe being given priority inappropriately or, or they might not be deserving, even if they are. I mean, they may very well be deserving and you've spoken about stories where you've had very good success stories. But how do you go about implementing a transformation agenda while still trying to fight that stigma? So, I mean, I, if, if I can try to answer that. Sorry, is there another comment here? Probably on the same subject. Sorry to interject there. Um, I think it's very interesting. I work for NBC. Uh, at NBC, we are proud of the history that a lot of those companies that you listed there, mm -hmm. we did give them their first pound of assets. And uh, we did that because we went with the spirit. We've always gone with the spirit. Uh, the, the biggest thing to me about uh, transformation is a lot of these people do not even want to be referred to as black managers. They are talented people, they've gone to the same schools, they've underwent the same training, the same experience with everybody else. The ones who are entrepreneurial have decided we want to go out and try our luck. But somewhere in the system it doesn't work for them. So. It is, it is a stigma that comes not because they want it. it. It is somewhere there in the system. So my own view is uh, players uh, like uh, trustees, who to me really are the owners of this capital that needs to be allocated, they need to play, play a much bigger role. Because a lot of these uh, uh, black managers do not want to be given preferential treatment. They just want to use their talent to manage assets, either within already existing companies or the ones that have set themselves up uh, to manage uh, through their own uh, small entities. Uh, as NBC, we had so many years where we had to fight with multi-managers to include certain uh, managers on their platforms. It was a huge fight, but we've seen less and less of it nowadays. There are more, uh, more we, we, we find they include them easily nowadays than they used to do it before, especially the main big asset managers. Now, the issue is, where does the problem lie? In my view, the problem lies with the whole system. It looks like it's an institutionalized system because new companies get formed, uh, which are non-black companies, but somehow they don't face this same problem that the likes of Mazi, for example, face. Uh, so uh, you will agree with me that there's a problem, but 
it, it, it has nothing to do with these black managers. It is the institution. It is the system, the way the system works. So we need to break that. And in my view, if we do that, then uh, everything else. We do fire black companies, by the way. If you don't perform, if you don't perform, we assess you like everybody else. So the issue is we give you space. Tell us what you can do. You are assessed like everybody else. If you don't perform, we review you and fire you. If you do perform, you stay on. It's as simple as that. Thanks very much for those observations. Just to um, answer that question before we wrap, um, I mean, so I ran an extensive BE program at the ESCOM Pension Fund. We had something like 30% of our assets allocated to established black managers and then um, another sort of 5 billion rand allocated to fledgling managers or managers who were incubator managers that didn't have the track record. So they wouldn't have passed master on your typical assessment that an asset consultant would, would run them through to be able to give them a mandate. How to avoid the, the stigma? Um, look, I think that stigma applies to a lot of the pension funds industry, not just black managers, that they are bribes and stitched up deals, etc., for allocation of assets. But I think the way, the way to get around it is to set clear criteria um, on which you're going to base the manager allocations and have a transparent process you know, that, is, that is audited, that is um, you know, overseen by a compliance department, etc., to make sure that the results as they stand you know, when allocations are made are actually explainable. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's, that's what we've, we certainly did at the ESCOM Pension Fund, and, and I don't think we've ever had any aspersions. Obviously, you have the normal lobbying and asking for, asking for money, but I think that's part of the marketing process. But thanks very much for, to, my, to my panel. Um, they've been fantastic, and thanks for being an engaged audience. Thank you. And uh, to the panelists, thank you as well. We'll now break for lunch. Uh, please return to your seats by about 10 past 1 so that we can start promptly at quarter past 1.